as Jessica was saying, this is a month of celebration and a month of really connecting with, you know, what Jesus accomplished because I believe that this month and, and Easter, what Easter represents to us and to the church is what actually um, the church of Jesus Christ is really all about. Um, Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man-made. But Christianity is the culmination of what God's heart and soul and desire was for mankind from the day that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and, and the authority that was given to man was, was actually stolen by the enemy and, and he got a hold of that. And that authority for 4,000 years that he operated in the earth with is, is what Jesus came to remove from him and, and allow mankind to continue on in what God had given. You know, God gave man dominion in the garden in, in the beginning, but he never, took, he never took that authority that he gave man back. You know, God, God doesn't give something and then take it back. He gave it to man, and man... What, what man did with it was his choice, but God's heart was to bring man back into fellowship and connection with, with himself, and that's what Jesus accomplished. And so, the blood of Jesus and what his body accomplished for you and I is really what Christianity is all about. When you have conversations with people, I was on an airplane one time, and, and there was a, a Muslim a guy that was from the Muslim faith that was sitting next to me. And, I, and I, now that I, I don't even remember where I was flying back from, I was flying back to San Antonio. And this guy was flying into San Antonio and driving to Austin and was going to school for four years in, at, at University of Texas. And while he was in Austin, his plan was to study Christianity because he had studied all the religions of the world. And now he was coming to Austin to study Christianity and I was happening the reason I know that is because of our conversation on the flight and uh, and so the guy asked me he says what religion are you and I said well I, I'm not of a religion I said I'm I'm, I'm a Christian and he looked at me and said so you're of the Christian religion and I said well Christianity isn't a religion and he says so what do you mean by that so the rest of the flight was about Christianity. <laughs> and, uh, and I was prepared and ready to tell that guy what the difference was. I said, the difference in the God that you serve and the God that I serve is that my God is not in the grave. I said, Muhammad's in the grave still. Muhammad was a real man. He was a good man. He did good things and did good works and all those kind of things, but he's still in the grave. And my God is not. And so he had a lot of different, you know, opinions about the fact that, you know, that wasn't really true and, you know, the Romans had stole his body and that, I mean, it was all this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, I mean, I've heard all those history stories. I said, but my faith, my faith is rock solid in the fact that he came out of the grave. And I said, and if that's not true, then I'll go to my grave 
believing that it was true. And if when I wake up spiritually coming out of this body and I'm face to face with supposedly the God that the Bible says that I serve and, and that's not him, well, then I did it honestly because this is what I believe, you know. And it, it was a great conversation with this guy, but these are things that we need to know and be able to explain to people that want to know. Not shoving, I'm not talking about shoving things down people's throat. That conversation on that airplane with that guy, however long it was, it seemed like it was a two or three hour flight. But that conversation with that guy in the airplane that day kept going because of his questions, not because I was trying to convert him. You'll never convert anybody based on you just going after him. But, but people will turn and make changes in their life if you believe in, in why you serve God and why you are growing in the things of God and, and, and how God's Word is making changes in your life. People will make changes in their life because you believe in what you do. You know, And so, as we enter into this time of year, um, it's so important to understand what the blood of Jesus accomplished for us. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this word, I want to I start in, in John chapter 6 today. And then today in the next two messages, um, I've entitled, what did I entitle it? Nothing but the blood, Nothing but the blood right. Nothing but the blood. And in John 6, I, I want to just read. We're going to spend the next three, two weeks today and the next two weeks, we're going to spend a little bit of time in John chapter 6. But I want to, um, I just want to read starting with verse. Fifty-one, and, and Jesus said to them, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 53, and I'm going to read this in the Amplified. And Jesus said to them, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, you cannot have any life in you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood. Sounds kind of gory, right? He said, I'm going to read it again. Jesus said to them, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, you cannot have any life in you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink His blood. And in parentheses, in an explanation here in the Amplified, he says, unless you appropriate His life and the saving merit of His blood, unless you appropriate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, it won't work for you unless you appropriate it. 
And um, so in these three messages leading up to Easter, what I want to talk about is how in your life to appropriate the blood of Jesus. How to apply the blood of Jesus. It's one thing to know what the blood of Jesus has accomplished, but then how does that work for me? That's what we're going to be talking about. So I want you to look at just a number of verses of Scripture that, um, that talk about just one specific thing in regards to um, the blood of Jesus. And I want to look at, uh, first off, I want to look at 1 John 1 and verse 7. What we're talking about is how to appropriate the blood of Jesus. How to appropriate, to apply the blood. Verse 7 of of 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us from all sin. Colossians 1 and verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, for the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And one other um, that is, is close to that in Ephesians 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. But in these, in these verses of Scripture, we see that we've been forgiven, we've been set free, that we are forgiven of sin, that our sins are not held against us because of the blood of Jesus. But what I want to ask you today, and what I want you to really think about is, um, most people know that because the day that you got born again, when you confessed Jesus to be your Savior, you asked and invited Him to come and live in your heart, you asked Him to forgive you of all sin, old things are passed away and behold everything is brand new. But the real question is, how many of us today still live conscious of the mistakes that we make? How many of us today still 
battle day after day after day, I'm not talking about thoughts and things that come to us, but how many of us live under the pressure and the bondage and the feeling like we're not forgiven for the mistakes that we've made. And I believe that most Christians, I would say the majority of Christians, live still feeling guilty of the things that they've done and the mistakes that they've made. And I believe the reason is, is because of our lack of understanding of how to appropriate the blood in our lives on a day-to-day basis, just very simply. It's the reason that most people cannot get over or get past mistakes that they've made. And yet, Scripture I just mentioned to you that we talk about around here all the time is if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, everything is brand new right now today. No matter what you've done yesterday, last week, two years ago, ten years ago, or two minutes ago, old things are passed away, and behold, everything is brand new. If, if we learn to embrace that and be able to cast the things that torment us or hold us down or keep us in bondage away, and the only way... I believe to be able to do that is to appropriate and apply the blood on a day-to-day basis. Scripture in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, I think, begins to shed some light on what I'm talking about. Verse 11 says this, And they overcame, Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. But they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame the issues that they face, the consciousness of sin or the mistakes that mankind has. They overcame that by what the blood accomplished and then by how you appropriate and apply the blood to the issues that you have. Because see, here's, here's something that I think that most people misunderstand about the word sin. If, we'll just use some blatant uh, acts of what we would consider sin, like, you know, Adultery, um, some people would consider sin as being, you know, a, a, a drunk or a drug addict or whatever, whatever in the natural that, we, that, that society may deem as wrong or church society may deem as wrong, then that's a sin. But in all actuality, if the blood of Jesus has defeated and destroyed everything, then those are just acts of immorality. They're not actually sin themselves. Because the Bible clearly reveals to us that sin is disobedient, being disobedient to God. When, when a person 
knows to do right and they choose not to, that's the sin. The other things are just acts. And there's not anybody sitting here today that's not had or operated in some form of immoral act of one kind or another at some time in your life. Maybe, it, maybe it's just, well, you know, I haven't done this or I haven't done this or whatever. And, and those kind of thoughts and, and many times can just make us feel better than the next person that we know that's done something horrible. But, but in all actuality, you and I have all made mistakes, everybody sitting here today. And the truth is, the blood and the body of Jesus Christ delivered you from all the immoral and wrong acts that you will ever commit, ever, 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 even before you commit them. Anything that you do a year from now, you've already been forgiven. And the power that the blood gives to us that when the opportunities to make choices and the opportunity to choose what pleases God in our life, the power that the blood and the body of Jesus Christ gives us is, I think, a lot of times what we've not learned to appropriate in a right way on a day-to-day basis. We know that He accomplished this. We know that He died for us. We know what the body and the blood did you know, on, on the Friday night before Easter, we're going to watch The Passion of the Christ. We have, a, you know, we have a, an amazing visual of what Jesus Christ did at Calvary in The Passion of the Christ like no other film I've ever seen ever. And yet, it probably doesn't even touch what he actually went through for you and I to be forgiven and delivered. But yet, not just forgiven and delivered, but empowered to do what's right on a day-to-day basis. And I'm believing that, that, that the lack of really realizing how to appropriate the blood day to day is what keeps us in bondage really actually to ourselves, our own thinking. Because see, if the enemy can keep you thinking that you're no good because of your mistakes, then he's got you. Because as a man thinks, he is that. I can tell you, your neighbor can tell you, your parents can tell you, you, you know, your friends can tell you, people can come and encourage you and try to build you up, but if you think you're a certain way because of mistakes you make, you'll go to the grave thinking that if you don't change, and the only thing that can empower you to change is appropriating what the blood accomplished for you on a day-to-day basis, sometimes all day, every day. Sometimes the, the, the battle is an all-day thing. Things that you're going through or that you're overcoming. You're, you're in a season of getting to the bottom of, of, an, of an issue. Sometimes it's all the time appropriating the blood in a, in a, in a correct way. And in the last two or three years, that's become more and more real and it's become such a personal thing to me about what the blood of Jesus accomplished. I think so many times about the trip that I had on that airplane with that, with that guy that was of the Muslim faith. And a very devout person, a person that was very committed, probably more committed than most Christians that I know. Committed on a day-to-day basis to, to serve and, and to worship Muhammad. And, and all of his teachings and everything that he 
put out there and, and yet and yet didn't have access to the power of the blood of Muhammad like I have access to the blood of Jesus. He didn't have it. And yet he was committed. So I'm just telling you today and over the next two services that my plan and what I purpose to accomplish here is for you to come out of these next three services realizing and defining what the word appropriate is and then what it means to the blood of Jesus. When I first read, I want to go back to John chapter 6, and I'll just spend the rest of our time probably right here, maybe a couple of verses, but when I first read this passage, um, really didn't make sense to me when I first read it years ago, and uh, actually took a long time for it to make sense to me, and in, um, actually I want to I back up to verse 41 and just read a little bit of this. It says, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and he said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the, in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And then he starts in verse 48 here about the fact that he is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that's the verse in, in the uh, Amplified that says, Unless you appropriate this life. How, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I, li I live because of the Father, so he feeds on me. He who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. 
And he taught these things, and they couldn't understand. I mean, you know, there's, there were different comments like, man, we, you know, we know his mom and his dad, you know? What the, what, what the crud's this eating my flesh and drinking my blood kind of thing? I mean, you know, that, that's like, you know, that's kind of pagan worship and devil worship. And, you know, who, who, how, how are we going to eat of his flesh? Are we going to all cut something out of his flesh? And how are we going to, how are we going to drink his blood? And today, I believe what Jesus is saying to us is about us appropriating what the body and what the blood really stands for and how it can work for us. We know that, that through the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven of sin. More than just forgiven of sin, we were empowered to overcome sin. Romans chapter 6, uh, uh, I think it's verse 14 says, that sin shall not have dominion over me. Sin shall no more have dominion over me. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me has empowered me to be able to overcome sin and the effects of sin not just to keep me from doing something wrong but desiring to shut down doing wrong even before it happens giving me the power to cast wrong thoughts away so that I I don't even allow the thoughts to control my mind he's given me the power to do that and that's what the blood of Jesus has accomplished And he said, if you don't appropriate that on a day-to-day basis, then it won't work for you. So, what's one way that we appropriate the blood? Well, Revelation 12, 11 said, and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of what they said. So, in in my prayer time, as as, as I pray, some of the things that I say is that I thank God that I've been delivered, but yet I've been empowered by the blood of Jesus. I heard people years ago when I was coming up in Christianity, heard all these people using this phrase, I plead the blood, I plead the blood, I plead, I plead, I plead. And they would, they would use that phrase and it would just, I'm thinking, you know, first time I heard somebody said, I'm thinking, you bleed the blood? And they said, no, 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 we plead the blood. And I said, well, I don't even know what that word plead means. We plead the blood, you know. And so, as time went on, and I began to ask questions, and I began to define what the word plead meant, what, what they were saying is, is that, no matter what's happening to us or what, we're, what is affecting my life, I'm declaring that the blood of Jesus is bigger and larger and more powerful than anything that I face, in other words. So, Father, I thank you today that the blood of Jesus has delivered me, has set me free, has empowered me. And today, these thoughts that I'm having in my mind that I know are not right thoughts and these thoughts of fear or torment or whatever's coming against me, today I plead the blood over those thoughts and I declare and command those thoughts to leave me. And I have the power to do that because the blood of Jesus has reconnected me to you. 
And, and what his body and his blood accomplished has now empowered me today in this, this one little situation. I can have victory over this thing and overcome this situation because of that. See, because if I can overcome one situation, then I can overcome another and another and another and another. And I'm just telling you right now, if you've never used the word plead, if you've never used that, I challenge you from today on, when you have a tough situation, something going on, just say that. I plead the blood. This week, from now till next Sunday, I challenge every one of you in here, in here to use that statement. And then I want some testimony next week, next Sunday, of how the pleading went. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to want some participation, and, and I'm going to ask you to stand and say, this is what happened. I want you to wait till next week. I want you to practice pleading and just saying, you know what? The situation I'm facing, I just plead the blood over. Lord, I thank you that your blood is working on my behalf. I thank you that what Jesus accomplished, what your heart was to redeem me back to you, and it was through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that that happened. And today I thank you it empowers me to do what's right, and I thank you that the circumstances in my life are changing. I plead the blood over that situation. I want you to do that all week, okay? And then I want some testimony about what that looks like. And, and what God has shown you is you're doing it all week long. Got it? Now, in verse 51, it says, he said this, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the whole world. He made a decision that he was going to lay down his life. And, and, I, and I mentioned the passion of the Christ, but, but they, did, they did such a great job of watching mankind literally mutilate his body, his flesh. I mean, with every kind of tool and, and weapon that they could think of, to pull flesh out of him and everything else, what he did is he gave that flesh so that you and I could be healed and delivered and set free in every area. In other words, he allowed himself to be mutilated to the point that Isaiah says, Isaiah says that he was unrecognizable. It couldn't even, that's why I'm saying, even what, even as horrible as the depiction of what happened to Jesus in the Passion of the Christ was, he's still recognizable. Isaiah says you couldn't even recognize him. So I didn't even do justice in what they did to him. I mean, I don't know, I don't know that, you know, even uh, as, as far as, as television and movies have gone and what they allow to be shown, I don't think you could show that on national television or in a movie without it being triple X rated because of, the, of what actually physically happened to him. You couldn't even recognize him. 
So you know what that says to me is? That, and I'm, I know this is kind of gore, but I'm making my point here. That probably, he probably, they, they probably pulled all the skin off of his face. I don't know that they maybe even gouged one of his eyes out. I mean, the scripture's not clear on that. But to be unrecognizable is for your face to be different. And I don't think they even came close to doing justice to what his face looked like. But the point is this. He gave it up and he allowed it to happen. And what happened? And the blood that came out of him and the the spear that pierced his side where the blood began to flow and it came to the earth. That body and blood delivered you and I, but it empowered you and I. See, God doesn't want us just to watch a movie and feel about how bad that they did, what, what they did to Jesus. What they did to him was to empower you and I. And, and I think that sometimes one of the reasons we don't appropriate the body and the blood of Jesus is because our focus is on how bad they tortured him. Then people want to be mad at the Jews and mad at the Romans. And Come on, man, we're not going to be mad at anybody. What happened to him was supposed to happen to him. Or you and I... You and I, would, our destination would be hell if it hadn't been for the body and the blood. And not only would our destination be hell, but, but there would have to be constant sacrifices of all kinds of animals on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year basis so that we could be forgiven of the things that we've done. And yeah, that, that, would, that would make sense that you and I would carry around baggage of feeling bad and, and feeling guilty of all the things that we've done wrong. I'm telling you right now, old things are passed away and everything is brand new right now. Come on. It's brand new. We don't have to live in the past and live under the bondage of the mistakes that we made. I'm telling you, I've made some mistakes. I know you've made some mistakes. But I plead the blood. Amen. Amen. I declare that his blood and his body was enough. He gave it. He gave it up. As you you come, bring people and come and watch the passion on the big screen. You'll like it. But as you watch it and you see the way he gave it up. I mean, what, what I really appreciate about the movie is that it's not, I mean, there are other Jesus movies that are about a lot of other things, and all that stuff is good too. But the, th- the reason this is so good is because it starts with the moment that the temptations came. He began to sweat that blood in the garden, and, and he had to make the choice as a man. He couldn't make the choice with God sitting there slapping the devil in the face and saying, you know, leave him alone. No, he had to feel the pain and the torment and the suffering in his body in the garden. And he said, God, if there be any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. Amen? And, and what he gave up in the garden in that moment, in the next 12 to 14 hours to the cross, he allowed himself to be taken advantage of, to be beaten, to be tortured, and all that. And that's what you and I have to eat of. See, that's the eating of the flesh. How are we going to eat his flesh? Well, they couldn't understand it then. But I'm telling you, after it's all over with, the disciples understood what it all meant. And that's why they could preach and not care what people thought. If he can do that for me, then I can lay my life down for him, and I'll do whatever he wants me to do.
Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And that's what happens when we begin to appropriate it in the right way and realize what his body accomplished for us. That's what you eat. See, you eat what happened to him, and what happened to him it doesn't have to happen to you, but when you eat of what he did, it empowers you to be able to do whatever he tells you to do. And whatever you're called to rise up and do and accomplish, you can do it in the power of what his body and his blood accomplished. And when I was sitting on the plane talking to that Muslim man that day, I was able to share that with him. And I believe that the seed of that word went in that man, and somewhere during all of his years of living on planet Earth, that guy will be saved if he's not already saved. That was probably 10 or 12 or 14 years ago. And that man, I believe that that seed of the word for two and a half hours that I shared with that guy will not return void, but accomplish what I set it out to accomplish. Why? Because I believe it. Because I've eaten of the flesh and I've drank his blood. When we partake of communion, when we do that here and we take the cup and the bread, it's appropriating. It's, it's getting more of a revelation. Every time I, do, I, I partake of that cracker, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of what I did for you. And every time I take that bread and, and, and cracker, there's something else that happens to me. There's something else that 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 gets, comes alive on the inside of me of what he accomplished and what he's empowered me to accomplish. See, that's, that's the whole thing. It's not, just, it's not just hearing the story of what he did and then us just feeling bad about him and worshiping that holy and amazing sacrifice. See, he doesn't want you to just stay focused on that. He wants you to embrace that and then be focused on now, what does he want you to do? You know, at the end of the Passion, when he comes up out of the grave and, and, and he's standing there and the movie finishes with him walking, you know, that's what he did. He, he walked out of the grave and now we're walking in his footsteps, see? And, and he's walking in our footsteps. See, we're walking in his, but... He's walking in ours because he can't go anywhere in the flesh unless you go. And, and, and the importance is that we do it his way so that we accomplish what he wants accomplished, but, but actually he's going wherever you go, and, and, and that's why it's so important that where my feet go is where he wants them to go. And the things that I say and what I appropriate is not just my will, but what he accomplished through his blood and his body. So important that we see it and we appropriate it and that we apply it on a day-to-day -day basis. Amen? Let me just give you these couple things as I end today. And there's... two things and then, we'll, and then we'll, we'll get into this next week but there's two things I want you to think about this week that, that the blood of Jesus will do for you as you appropriate it correctly. There's two things that it will do for you. Number one, it will deliver you from every stronghold of the enemy and we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about 
how the blood of Jesus will deliver you from every stronghold of the enemy. We're going to look at what strongholds really are and then how he has, has empowered us to be delivered. And the second thing is that he will, that the blood of Jesus will protect you from the enemy. Um, I love this verse and I believe that this verse is tied to the blood of Jesus, even though it doesn't mention it. I believe it's tied to this. Look at Psalm 91. Psalm 91 and verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the words of what they said and that they appropriated and that they applied. He says, and I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And I believe that that secret place, that secret place is that place where the blood of Jesus has become so real that I'm able to appropriate that in any and every given situation. That's the secret place. Because in that place, I say, Lord, you're my refuge, my fortress. I plead the blood over this situation right here. Doesn't matter what it looks like, I overcome because the blood of Jesus has already worked on my behalf and it has already supplied me enough to overcome in the thing that I face today. See, because, because what matters is what we face today. Not worried about tomorrow. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. When tomorrow comes, there'll be enough worries there, but the blood of Jesus is already taken care of tomorrow and the next day and next week and next month and next year. So we can live in the fullness of today, applying and appropriating the blood to the situation. I've had. There's not much you can do about what you don't know is going to happen tomorrow, right? And what most people do is worry about what they face today. I don't have to worry. I can apply. As I apply the blood, I overcome. You know the story in the Old Testament, and we'll look at it just for a minute next week, but the story in the Old Testament where Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they're taking them through the, all, you know, Pharaoh says, okay, let them go, and then, then he says, no, take it. He takes it back, and then he, there comes another plague and another plague and another, there's 10 of them. And the last plague is the death of the firstborn. And <clears throat> Moses gives the children of Israel very clear instructions. You go and find the best lamb, the unblemished lamb, and you sacrifice that lamb and you take the blood and you mark, you mark the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel comes and it sees the blood, it'll pass over. It'll protect your home. And all of Egypt, all the firstborn died that day, that, that night. And in Israel's camp, not one. Amen? And, and, and the reason was, is because the sacrificial unblemished lamb was sacrificed for the good of the people. And it was a picture of Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice for you and I, that now, now, one of the things that we say and that we've prayed for years 
is that we declare that the blood of Jesus has marked the doorpost of our home, of our vehicles, of our lives, and everywhere we go, we're protected. Amen? In Psalm 91, it says, And he gives his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They bury you up in their hands, lest anything come against you. It says, lest you dash your foot against a stone, or I don't care what comes. Huh? Because the Bible doesn't say things don't come. But when they come, they pass by you because you're marked. Amen? Amen? I've been marked. And listen, you can be born again and not marked. Because you're not understanding how to appropriate what has already been given to you. Didn't say you weren't saved. See, you're not marked. I didn't say you weren't saved. But you can live in this life and be protected from things that happen to other people and other situations. I'm not comparing anybody. I'm just saying I know that the angels of God encamp around about me and they protect me and my family and the people of this church body because I speak that every day. Why? Because I dwell in the secret place of the Most High and I I know what the blood of Jesus has done and I've learned how to appropriate it and it works. You pray for your children wherever they go. I mean, you send your children off to school in the morning, you need to appropriate their lives with the blood of Jesus and nothing will ever happen to them. I mean, well, Pastor, you know, knock on wood. Knock on your head. Amen. (laughs) Knock on wood. Knock on nothing. I mean, we've got to believe this stuff. We've got to believe that it will actually happen. I mean, if we're called to the world, we can't just stay in our house and hide out in our house forever, right? Because we're afraid that something bad's going to happen. You may be called to go to the other side of the planet. Well, you know, I don't, you know, my, my mom doesn't want me to go there because, you know, something bad may happen. Nothing bad will happen if you're sent and you go because God said nothing bad will happen. You won't be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus and because of the promises of his word. And we have to appropriate these things. We can't just hope that they happen. Well, we hope so. Well, that happened, you know, that was just God's will. Can't be God's will if it doesn't say it's His will. His word is His will. And if His word doesn't say that that's the way He thinks, then He doesn't think that way. It can't be His will. It can't be. A number of years ago, there was a very popular, high profile person in the Christian world that his, one of his children were killed. One, Somebody in their family ran over the baby with a car. It was horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible. And 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 hear me, what I'm saying. I mean, I grieved with that person. I I didn't know the person, but I grieved with them. We prayed for their family, all those things, okay? But somebody comes to me, and they ask me some questions about that situation. And hear me when I say this. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not insensitive to what happened. I'm not insensitive to anything. I'm just telling you what the Word says. Okay? And here's the deal. And, and if this makes you mad, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you what the Word says. What I say is, 
that will never happen to me. Ever. That will never happen to my kids. Okay? I grieved with those people. Okay? See, when we, when we, when we believe the word, okay, when you're believing the word, in the midst of believing the word, there are things that happen around you. There are things that come to you or come against you. But when you're believing the word, you can't let the experiences of other people affect the way you choose to believe what God's word says. You see? And that's been, that, 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 we've, people have been accused of being insensitive and being prideful and thinking that bad things don't happen. Bad things come and happen to all people. Bad things just come, okay? But the scripture tells me I don't have to receive bad stuff. And the scripture says that if I believe and apply and appropriate the angels of God on my behalf, as I've done from before my children were even born, and we've applied and declared that the angels encamp around about us, see, I'm not afraid to tell you that that's not going to happen to me. I'm not afraid to tell you that bad things aren't going to happen to my family because I know that the angels of God are there. See, now, when, when I said just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're marked, because just, just the fact that you're born again doesn't mean the angels work on your behalf. Angels, according to Hebrews 1, work on the behalf of the words of the people as they release them. It's very clear how they operate. You understand? I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. When something bad happens to somebody, you need to have passion, compassion. You need to work with people, stand with people. It, because I'm not saying that things haven't happened to me. I'm just saying my expectation in the future, today and in the future, is everything that the Word says. Okay? I'm not saying that we haven't had difficult times and situations have arisen. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I choose to appropriate the Word of God, the blood of Jesus Christ to every situation and work it in the way it's supposed to be worked. And I'm telling you, the Word works. Amen? It just works. I can't, I can't spend my time explaining why bad things happen. I, I can't. Now, I, I can answer people's questions, but most of the time they don't want to hear it. I've told that story about the fan, right? How many, how many people have heard the story about the fan and the kid's finger? Okay, so there's enough people who haven't heard it. <laughs> Sometimes people say, man, you tell the same stories over and over again. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to come up with new stories. Okay, but, but most of you haven't heard this story. So, so a guy used to preach in my church. His name was Hugh Smith. And he was preaching in church one day, and some lady comes running down the middle of the aisle while he's preaching, screaming, and carrying this, it was somebody from the nursery carrying this baby, and the baby's, I think it was the middle finger, like at the second knuckle was just gone, it wasn't there, and the lady was holding the piece in her hand, and she gave it to the guy, Hugh Smith, and he stuck it on there, and he began to pray that that thing would, you know, go back whatever, he just began to speak over it, and they wrapped it up, and they took the child out, and he preached his message, you know, and as, after, the, after it was over, this lady came up to him and said, uh, um, why did that happen? And he looked at her, and he said, well, 
probably because the child stuck his finger in the fan. I mean, it didn't have to be some spiritual deal, you know, and, well, you know, maybe that little baby was in sin. Maybe it's the baby's parents or something, you know. The baby stuck their finger in the fan. Okay? Now, okay, my children have been in a ton of nurseries (laughs) from day one because we've been in the ministry since Amanda was born. And they've been in nurseries. And there have been fans in the nurseries. And there's probably been times when their fingers came close. But I had an angel. (laughs) Kicking that finger out of the way. Bam! I mean, whatever, whatever, okay? And I'm not saying it pridefully. and, And you really have to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying it pridefully. Because you could sit there and think, yeah, but you just watch what happens as a result of what you're saying today. Yeah, things can come. Stuff can, stuff can come at us. But I believe in the angels of God, and I believe that we've appropriated the blood, and we continue to appropriate the blood, and continue to appropriate the promises of God to our lives. And I'm telling you, stuff, bad things don't happen to us because we serve a good God. I'm just, I'm just saying Bad things in the natural have happened to us, but I'm saying today bad things don't happen to us because of the blood of Jesus. Does that make sense? So so I'm not saying that I'm something special, but I am because of the blood. And that's the way you've got to see yourself as something special and that you can appropriate that blood. And so all week, all week long, I want you to plead the blood over situations that you face. Just, Just use that word, plead. Go look it up in the dictionary. I'll give you my exhaustive uh, definition of it next week from about 12 different, (laughs) you know, dictionaries and, and, and books and stuff. But you go look the word up yourself, and I promise you God's going to bless you just with that word plead. I promise you he's going to bless you with it. So this morning, I, I... I leave you with this verse, okay? I'm leaving you with this verse this morning, and then we'll pick this up next week. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse uh, 14, I think. Yeah. I want you to think about this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So remember this. When he offered his body in the garden, he had never committed sin, and he was taking the sins of the world upon himself, committing no sin. The Bible says, you know, that one could possibly die for a good man, 
for somebody that was really, really good, maybe you would lay your life down for that person or you would give your child for that person or whatever. Maybe, but probably not. But he died for a bunch of losers. Because that's what you are without him. Well, Pastor, I'm no dang loser. Yeah. Yeah. All of humanity were losers without him. <laughs> and he saw you a loser. And he said, Man, God, if there be any other way, but I see Bert, I see him. And I choose him. Dang. Come on. He saw you and he chose. Come on, give, give God praise today. Amen. He saw you and he chose you. Amen. He saw you and he chose you. I'm telling you today. He can sympathize. He knows where we're at. He's given us the victory. Glory to God. So all week, you're going to do what? Plead the blood. Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus that was tempted and tested at all points, yet without sin, coming to the aid of those that are tempted and tested and that battle and confront sin on a day-to-day basis. We confront it. We have the power to overcome. We have the power to choose what's right. We have the power to do the right thing. Thank you for the protection and the deliverance of strongholds, Lord, that you have given to us through the blood. We thank you for this time and this season where we're here to worship and to thank you for all that Jesus accomplished. So grateful. It's almost like there's not words to put to what he did for us. Lord, we want to know, we want to understand it in a greater way so that we walk into our destinies and fulfill the things that you put us on this planet for. We give you all praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.